Good morning, church family. Uh, good morning. My name's Derek. Glad that you're with us. You, those of you that were with us last Sunday, what a great celebration. What a great opportunity to be together Easter morning, celebrate Resurrection Sunday together. Um, the fact that Jesus is alive uh, is great to be, it is great for me to be part of this church family. Love you all, love celebrating with you all, and uh, great, to, just excited to see what more God has in store. If you were with us last Sunday, last Sunday we, we experienced a cosmic disturbance. Last Sunday, an act of God shook the worship center. Last Sunday, we experienced a, an earthquake. Well, we experienced the simulation of an earthquake. And uh, if you missed it, you missed out on the fun. But the reason we were thinking about this is that we were, we were, why we were thinking about these cosmic disturbances, these acts of God, is because last Sunday, as we celebrated this, this pinnacle weekend, this, this, that first Easter weekend 2,000 years ago, we were remembering that God marked the occasion with two significant earthquakes, marking these pivotal moments of his rescue plan, that his rescue plan, his love for us poured out uh, on the cross was marked by these two earthquakes, one at the death of Jesus and another on Sunday morning that opened the empty tomb. And so there was a lot to celebrate how God was, was rattling the earth with this incredible rescue plan of his. So why is Pastor Derek talking about earthquakes again? Is he like fixated on earthquakes? Well, um, because as we begin our study of a new book of the Bible this morning, we'll, we'll eventually, I'll eventually have you turn to the book of Philippians, which we're going to be studying. But really, as we begin our study of Philippians, it, it kind of starts with another earthquake. Look on the screen with me at Acts chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing. These are leaders in the early church. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And they were in jail, so their fellow prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great, what? And suddenly there was a great? So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. So this, these early church leaders, Paul and Silas, find themselves in jail, and there's an earthquake. And, they, and we, wanna, we should ask, how did they get there? And, and what's the deal with this earthquake? Well, to figure out how they got there and what the deal with this earthquake is, let's rewind a little bit and let's figure out where we are here in Acts and, and, uh, and, and who these people are and what's going on. Paul uh, is an apostle, Paul is, is, which is a word for a messenger of the good news, a, a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus. Uh, Paul also is um, the author of a lot of what we call the New Testament in the Bible that's on your lap. Um, a lot of our New Testament is letters written from the Apostle Paul to various churches. And so Paul is this um, messenger of God. He's a traveling missionary going around planting new churches uh, that will proclaim the good news of Jesus. Because just like our church here, that's what we're all about is proclaiming the gospel. All these churches that Paul started were to proclaim the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel is the good news that God has acted to rescue sinners like you and me 
and make it possible for you and me to be in relationship with a holy and perfect God. And so Paul traveled, gave his life to traveling and proclaiming this good news. And where we find ourselves thinking about um, what's happening with Paul and Silas and being in jail and this earthquake uh, is covered in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 16. And Paul is on his uh, second missionary journey. Guess why it's called his second missionary journey? Because <laughs> he already went on another missionary journey, traveling around, proclaiming the good news of Jesus, starting new churches. And now um, he is traveling around to encourage those churches and start new churches. So um, I'm going to give you just some highlights from Acts chapter 16 in the next couple of minutes. But I would really encourage you, make a note, and if you're looking for something to read later today, you, when you spend time in God's word each day, whether it's later today or tomorrow morning, uh, read Acts chapter 16 and you'll get kind of the details of this backstory that I'm just going to highlight for you right now. Um, and, I, and I like to give credit where credit is due. As I've studied and prepared for this sermon series, um, there are numerous books and resources and biblical scholars and commentaries that are helpful to me, but uh, in particular, a couple of pastor authors, Stephen Lawson and Kent Hughes, really helpful as we prepared. Um, now, there's some raised eyebrows, perhaps. Uh, why, is, why is Derek talking about the book of Acts in my Bible? I thought we were starting a new series through the book of Philippians. Yes, that's true. Bear with me and you'll see. So in Acts 16, Paul is planning to retrace his first missionary trip. And he's thinking, he's, he's sort of anticipating going back to some of these churches he's already started so that he can encourage them. But God has different plans. So you can see on the map there, kind of in the middle of the red line, this is his second missionary journey, the red line. And kind of in the middle there is Lystra. He comes to a place called Lystra. And there he is joined by Timothy. So he, Paul and Silas are traveling. In Lystra, they are joined by Timothy. Timothy is a co-worker of Paul, a traveling companion, uh, but much more. The books in our Bible that are called First and Second Timothy are letters written by Paul to Timothy, really his protege. Um, Paul was discipling Timothy. Paul was training Timothy to be a pastor. And Paul loved Timothy like a son. So Timothy uh, joins uh, in, the, in this trip, in this traveling trip there in Lystra. And anytime I think about Paul and Timothy, I just want to remind us, do we have people in our life, fellow followers of Jesus, that we are interacting with, that we know, they know us and we know them. They can ask us the tough questions, the good questions. They can rejoice when we rejoice. They can weep with us when we weep. Are you in relationship with other believers? Do you have a Paul, someone who is building into your life? Do you have a Timothy, someone you are investing in? Those are, those are I think, key to our Christian journey key to our growth in following Jesus. Okay, so you can see on the map then um, that, uh, and actually, but, but right around the time they were in Lystra, what they wanted to do, what Paul thought was going to happen, was he was going to kind of go southeast toward the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, perhaps go back and visit Ephesus, where he had already started a church. Uh, but in Acts 16, we read he, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. 
God had different plans. They, they, were, they thought they knew where they were taking their missionary trip, but they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. So they thought, well, okay, then let's go north. So then they thought they were going to go north on our map toward the top above Antioch into that region. And again, they are redirected by God. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit did not allow them to go north into Bithynia. So we don't always understand this, but we know that God leads and guides and through his spirit was, was, was guiding this team. So instead of going kind of southeast or north, you can see that where they ended up going, they kind of got funneled by God through to up near Troas. So they continued going where God was leading them. In Troas, um, they were joined by Dr. Luke. Here's another character, another uh, significant um, Bible author. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke also wrote this book of Acts that we're talking about right now. Um, a doctor, a gospel writer. Uh, and so this God is forming this incredible group of Jesus followers, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, to travel and proclaim the good news. And so it's here in Troas that Paul has a vision uh, God gives a vision to Paul, and it's of a man. This is what Paul sees in his vision, is a man beckoning Paul to come. And the words are, the man says, come to Macedonia and help us. Come to Macedonia and help us. And so this Macedonian man would have been a, a European man. Macedonia would have been what we call today northern Greece. And so... Um, while he was in Troas, Paul he sees this vision and hears his response. On the screen is Acts chapter 16, verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. God had closed some doors and redirected them. And now through a vision, they are feeling called to go into this area of the world. So and so it says, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the good news of Jesus to them. So there is a two-day crossing by boat. We can see the map again. There's a two-day crossing across the channel there by boat to Neapolis. And then from Neapolis, a nine-mile walk to a, a Roman colony called Philippi. And so now this traveling group of followers of Jesus that are desiring to proclaim the good news have found themselves uh, in Philippi, this significant Roman colony. And lest we get bored because it seems like I'm just doing a geography lesson, or lest we get bored because sometimes we glaze over when we think history, why is this crossing to Neapolis and walk to Philippi so historic, so monumental? Because the gospel of Jesus has now entered the Roman Empire. And you know what's even better than that? The gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, has now entered what will be Europe. And if you look around the room, most of us should think this is pretty good news. Having dis many of us, not all, but many having descended from Europeans, the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus has reached Europe. 
And so when he gets to Philippi, as is Paul's custom, he first goes to the Jewish synagogue. His custom when he gets to a new place is to look for a Jewish synagogue to begin by teaching the Jews about Jesus. But in Philippi, it's interesting because they must not have even had, they must have had fewer than 10 or no Jews because there was no synagogue. There was no formal synagogue gathering in Philippi for Paul to find. And so they're figuring out, how are we going to share the good news? And what they find is a group of people meeting down by the river for prayer. And so they went to those people and began to talk to them. And we see on the screen, Acts chapter 16, verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Look at this. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And so because Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke were traveling to proclaim the good news of Jesus, they have come to Philippi. They have looked for people who would be open to receiving this news. It's not what they did, but the scripture on the screen tells us it's the Lord that opened her heart. Don't we need to pray for so many people around us for the Lord to open their hearts to receive the good news? The Lord works ahead of us. The Lord works through us as we proclaim the good news. And because of this, Lydia and her family put their trust in Jesus Christ, and and she and her whole family were baptized that day. Now, I'm thinking back a couple of weeks ago when we got to baptize nine people in our church family, and I discovered something two weeks ago that Faith Church knows how to celebrate baptisms So let's have a little fun with it now. Paul and his buddies have traveled to Philippi. They have proclaimed the good news of Jesus. Lydia and her family have responded to Jesus, said, yes, I need Jesus. And they have entrusted their lives to him. And Lydia and her family were baptized that day. (laughs) Yes. That's how we respond to God's working in lives. And where God is at work... Sometimes the opposition is at work too, because very quickly after Lydia's and her family's conversion, we find in Acts chapter 16 that there was a slave girl under demonic control, and her owners, the slave girl's owners, were making money because of her demonic possession was apparently allowing her to do some fortune telling, and her owners were using this to their financial gain. And the demon was shouting through this girl for days and days about Paul and who they were and who they were serving. And the demon girl's, uh, the, the slave girl's demon was shouting through her over and over to the point that Paul was quite annoyed. And finally, Paul, so annoyed, turned and cast the demon out of the woman, which is great news for that woman. It wasn't so well received by her owners who now have lost their income from her fortune telling. And so, those owners get mad. They get Paul and friends in trouble. Paul and friends are beaten and thrown in prison as a result. And that's what leads up to those verses we started with a few few minutes ago. Let's see them again. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. They are in jail. Beaten, feet in stocks. Praying and singing hymns to God. 
I want to walk like Jesus and have that be true of me. And the fellow prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And uh, out, of his, out of his sleep, the jailer jolts awake because of the earthquake and, 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 and the, the prison has been rumbled and shaken and gates are falling down. And so the jailer assumes, oh no, everybody's gotten out. I'm sure I'm gonna lose my job. I might get killed because I'm sure the prisoners have escaped. And he is pleasantly surprised that Paul and his buddies are just chilling. And, and he, the jailer recognizes the power of God at work, perhaps with trembling astonishment from the earthquake. And the jailer then asks Paul, how can I be saved? Don't you just want someone to run up to you and go, how can I be saved? Sharing the good news of Jesus would be really easy or a, lot, a little easier anyway, if that would happen, right? The jailer recognizes that God is at work. He throws himself at Paul's feet and asks, how can he be saved? And that day, the jailer and his family put their trust in Jesus for salvation. And that day, the jailer and his family were baptized and raised to new life. Do you see a little group forming around Paul and his buddies? Those two people, their families, and I don't know, Maybe a slave girl that used to be demon-possessed are coming to Jesus and are forming a new church family because Paul and his buddies were traveling to new places where God called them to proclaim the good news of Jesus, that life is found in Jesus, that healing and forgiveness is found in Jesus. And God, through God's working, is softening and preparing hearts and having people respond to trusting Christ. And in doing so, God is creating this new church. And so this, this group of people becomes a church family, the first church in Europe. And as, as our study of the letter to the Philippians will show, even if you might not have gotten Paul to admit it, the Philippians sure seem like his favorite. This is a church that is near and dear to the Apostle Paul. He, it, his love for them is apparent. They have a unique and close relationship. Then, years later, Paul finds himself in jail again. That's a story for another time. But I say it because... Philippians, the book in your Bible we call Philippians, is a letter written from the Apostle Paul to that little church, those group of people that became the church of Philippi. And what we're about to study is Paul's letter from jail to the church family in Philippi. See, Acts 16 was the beginning of our Philippians journey. You guys thought I had lost my marbles. Why are we in... Why are we in Acts? Okay, now I want you to get your finger in the text. We open our Bibles and study God's Word here every Sunday, so I hope you have a Bible with you. If you haven't already done so, you can open to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Let's get our finger in the text, in God's Word, and see what He has in store for us today. 
Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, this letter from Paul to this church family in Philippi. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 1 and 2 are where we will be today, and it seems like just a salutation. It seems like just a innocuous, a basic greeting of a letter, but let's take a closer look. Verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. We've already covered who Paul and Timothy are, but I want to point out something I find interesting. Paul is the apostle. Paul is the God-appointed messenger of God, the author of a great bit of our New Testament. And yet, look how he pens the letter. He includes Timothy. He's the important guy. He's the New Testament author. He's the Apostle Paul. And yet he includes Timothy as an author, as a sender of the letter. I I think this is significant because rather than than be a a celebrity Christian, rather than draw all the attention to one person, Paul could have done that. And instead, here he he includes Timothy. And, And elsewhere, we see Paul consistently including others and raising them to the same level as he is. And I think that we'll see this again in a a few minutes. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. What's that word servants all about? Uh, In in the, uh, our Bibles were, this part of our Bible was originally written in Greek. The Greek word there for servant is doulos, which actually means slave. And if we were to do a little digging, we would find that slave is actually even lower of a position than servant, because if you were a servant, you could still have some possessions, you had some some basic rights. If you were a servant, you might even kind of complete your duty to your master, your job, and and then return to your home. That would be the situation if you were a servant. But a slave, slaves belonged to their masters. Slaves depended on their masters. They had no possessions of their own. Their lives were dependent on the provision of their master. Uh, And the purpose of a slave's life was devoted to that of their master. Paul and Timothy, servants, slaves of Christ Jesus. This is what Paul thought about his relationship to Jesus. But Paul's master lived and died and rose again, proving himself to be God-man, proving himself to be son of God, proving himself to be the rescuer of humanity. And so it was easy for Paul then to say, I am a slave to my great master, Jesus. It was a joy for Paul to be slave to Jesus, such that Paul made it the chief aim of his life, the main goal, the main purpose, all of his time and efforts, Paul devoted to serving and pleasing his master, the Lord Jesus. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, And here we see Christ Jesus for the first time in Philippians. 
And, you know, we're going to look at a few different themes of this letter, and we're going to talk about some different things that, that, that uh, Paul seems to emphasize in his letter to the Philippians. And we'll talk about these various themes. But you know what? There is no other noun mentioned more in Philippians than Jesus. Paul's letter to the Philippians is about the Lord, the master, the rescuer of all, Jesus. If we think about other themes that we'll come across in the future weeks, fellowship with one another might be a theme in Philippians. It's because in Christ, we have fellowship with one another. In Philippians, we will come across a theme of joy and rejoicing that even on this side of eternity, even in the mess of our lives, even in the ups and downs and suffering we go through, there can be found true joy and rejoicing. You know why? Because in Christ, true joy is found. So we'll also see in Philippians that, we'll, that we need to grow in Christ, that we need to grow in our knowing him. And that too is because of Jesus' work in our lives. So let's keep going in the passage. Verse 1 continues like this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to, who's this letter to? To all of the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. What's that word saints? Here Paul refers to all followers of Jesus as saints, or this word kind of means holy ones. It doesn't mean we are perfect. We're not holy in the sense of being perfect and without sin, but Christians, followers of Jesus, are saints, holy ones, because we are set apart from God, for God. We are no longer enslaved to our old lives. We are no longer living for sin and for our flesh, but we are set apart, made holy, because we are serving God. And so this letter Paul writes is to all followers of Jesus, those who are in Christ. And he writes to all the saints in Christ who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. And so while the letter is to all followers of Jesus, all Christians in Philippi, Paul wants them to hear this letter. He wants them to know its content. He wants to encourage all followers of Jesus. And yet he makes special mention of the overseers and deacons. Overse the word overseer it, uh, these are leadership roles in the early church and, and in churches today. Uh, the word overseer here is used uh, interchangeably in the New Testament with the word elder. And deacon is another uh, servant-hearted role of leadership uh, in churches. And so Paul addresses this letter to all the believers with the overseers and deacons. And so he kind of highlights these servant leadership roles. And I want to take a minute and, and help us think real quick, how does this apply to us in 2018 at Faith Church? Uh, you may know the way we operate as a church ministry is we have a congregational form of government, meaning that our people, particularly our members, those of you that are official members of Faith Church that have gone through a process to become membership, the ultimate responsibility of, of of leading our church and, and honoring God and seeing that our church is a place that proclaims Jesus and makes disciples is, is, uh, is your responsibility, members of faith church, because we have a congregational form of, of government. And the way that plays out is our members vote on, on the most significant 
decisions that guide our ministry. When we pass a new budget every year, the members approve it. So you're, you are giving approval to how God's money is spent uh, in and through Faith Church. Another significant way when a new lead pastor is brought on, you, the people, the members voted to uh, affirm what God was doing in bringing on a new pastor. We do that each year as well as you vote approval for our leaders. And our leadership team is made up of our elders. And so that's another way we are a congregational form of government. You have the responsibility to approve and put in, in authority pastors and elders. And so it's interesting, though, to me that uh, this letter from Paul is not addressed this way. To all the believers at Philippi and especially your pastor. That's not what he wrote. Instead, he wrote along with the elders and deacons, the overseers and deacons. And, and we believe that this is the biblical model for church leadership. Elders, plural. We see over and over in the New Testament, Paul starting churches and giving uh, the leadership of those churches to a group of elders, plural. Um, and, and we believe that's the biblical model for church leadership. Elders, uh, the term elder, uh, shepherd, pastor, kind of all interchangeable. Uh, the elders of a church are given to the care, the shepherding of the flock, the people of God. The elder's role is to uh, honor God by helping God's people grow in their relationship with Jesus. So our group of elders, plural, have the responsibility before God and a responsibility that you have approved and affirmed by your vote each year. And our responsibility is to shepherd the flock. And we're responsible for your spiritual care and oversight. And some of you have heard me on this before, uh, but it's good for me to mention it again. My leadership style, as you get to know me, one of the goals of my leadership style is to dispel what uh, some people call the holy man myth. The way I am going about serving as one of many leaders in this church family, the way I'm going about that is hopefully, one of the, one of the main things I would like to do is to dispel the holy man myth. This myth that only certain professionals have a direct connection with God. The myth that only the pastor can pray for me, or um, the myth that uh, you know, he's, he's the only one that can do certain ministry because he's got the direct line with God. Uh, I've said this before, but if your spiritual care was up to me alone, you guys are in a world of hurt. If your spiritual care and, and, and loving you and caring for you and helping you learn more about Jesus and, and move away from sin and become more like Jesus, if that was all up to me for all of you, I'd, I'd fall way short. I have so much more uh, hopes for you than that. If ministry in our church family, if ministry to other people in our church family, serving God, being conduits of God's love, through us and out of us to other people in our church and in our community, if all of that ministry to others was up to me, again, I'm going to fail. I'm going to fall short. But God's word is so clear in so many places that he has given the work of God, the mission of God to the whole people of God. 
So the thing that, what God has called our church to, to be disciple makers, to, to, to help people follow Jesus and become people who help other people follow Jesus, who become people who help other follow, others follow Jesus, uh, for, that, for us to accomplish that mission includes the whole church family. That's why we have plural staff, plural elders, many, many other leaders in our church family, many, many other servant-hearted people working in front of the scenes, behind the scenes. And that is why we have you, follower of Jesus, who are Holy Spirit-empowered to serve and be a minister of the gospel of Jesus. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, who are they writing to? To all the saints, all the believers in Philippi. All right, we've covered one verse of Philippians. We're just flying through this book. Uh, some of you are a little worried, though. You're on. this guy spent 44 weeks in, the, in 15 chapters of Mark. We just covered one verse. I think we're going to cover two verses today. Let's see, at that rate, this short book, this little four-chapter book of Philippians will take us 52 weeks. Don't worry. There's only 13 weeks planned for Philippians, okay? I'm going to teach a little more than two verses a Sunday, okay? But we teach the Word of God at Faith Church. This is where we look to. We keep our fingers in the text, and we love going through God's word. Verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All grace and peace come from God, the entire Godhead. We worship a God who is one in three, three in one, Father, Son, Spirit, all God, all one. I don't get it. It's hard to understand, but all grace and all peace come from God. Grace, grace to you. If I had to summarize, uh, if we were going to try to summarize the good news of Jesus in just one word, well, we probably should do the Sunday school thing and say Jesus first, right? If we were going to summarize the good news, I guess in one word, we could go with Jesus or we could go with grace. If we were going to summarize the good news of Jesus in one word, perhaps we would say grace because grace is the heartbeat, the very center of the gospel, the good news about how God has rescued sinners and made it possible for us to be in relationship with him. It's by God's grace, don't miss this. It's by God's grace, by his favor toward us, that we don't get what we do deserve. Punishment for our sin. And it's by God's grace, his favor toward us, that we do get what we don't deserve. Forgiveness of sin, life made new, and life with him. Grace is the center, the very heartbeat of the good news. 
And so I think when we think of grace, I think often when we think of the word grace, we think of God's saving grace. And that is beautiful, glorious to behold, to consider God's rescuing grace to us. That by his grace, we are saved from sin and death and made right with him and given a new life. But who did we say Paul was writing this letter to? Saints, which means followers of Jesus, believers. So if Paul's writing this letter to followers of Jesus, is he asking that they receive God's saving grace? No, followers of Jesus have already received God's saving grace. They are already rescued from sin and death by God's saving grace. And so what is Paul writing to them then here? Instead of, their, of, of referring to saving grace, Paul is, is asking that they would experience daily grace. It is a request for daily grace that will enable them to live in a manner that honors God. Paul is asking that they would know the all-sufficient grace of God in their lives, not just once when it rescued and saved them from sin and death, but God is, uh, Paul is asking that they would experience God's grace continuing in their lives. Uh, an author, Stephen Lawson, writes this, So grace to you is a request that these folks enter into a fuller experience of grace in their Christian life. It is a request for daily grace that will enable them to live in a manner that honors God. So saving grace is great news. We are rescued from sin and death, but it's in Jesus that we also find this daily grace that helps us live for him. Grace to you, he writes, and peace. Paul also asks that the peace of God be with them. And again, this is interesting because if he's writing to followers of Jesus, do they already have peace with God? Yeah, Apart from, Jesus, apart from Jesus, we all, before knowing Jesus, we were alienated from God. We were uh, his enemies. We, we were rebellious against him. But in Christ, having entrusted our lives to Christ, we already have, followers of Jesus, all believers have peace with God. So that's not what Paul is asking for. Instead, Paul's writing this letter and he's saying, peace with from God. They already have peace with God, but now Paul is asking that they would have peace with God. He's encouraging the Philippians, and he's encouraging you and I today that as followers of Jesus, we can have the peace of God in our lives. He means that the personal experience of supernatural peace within our souls, Lawson writes, only God can give this inner tranquility. This is the quiet calm within the human spirit in the midst of life's raging storms. This personal serenity comes from knowing that God is in control of all circumstances and God causes all things to work together for our good so that we might become more and more like Christ. It is because of God's grace to us that we can experience God's peace. We're just looking at two verses this morning, and it seems like just a greeting. It just seems like the introduction to a letter. 
but it's because of God's grace to us that we can experience God's peace. The grace of God in our lives, God's grace poured out to you through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God's grace prepares for us the way to find peace in God. Grace to you, verse 2, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Lawson writes, there is no grace apart from God the Father. There is no grace apart from God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Neither is there any peace within the heart outside of knowing Jesus. So as we study this letter to the Philippians, we're going to see this over and over again. Paul's desire for us to experience the grace and peace of God. Do you want that? As you sit there this morning, do you recognize, do you need to experience God's grace, God's peace? Not just once to become a Christian, but do we need his grace ongoing, empowering us, helping us to live for him? Do we want to find peace in God? We want to find God's peace in our lives. There is no grace, friends. There is no peace apart from knowing Lord and Master Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your saving grace. We thank you that you are a God who loves and pursues us. So God, we thank you for saving grace that you do not leave us stuck in sin and headed um, for death. But God, you, you intervene. You sent your son. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that rescues us from sin and death and makes it possible for us to know you. And God, this morning we thank you too for daily grace. As Paul writes to the Philippians and to us, grace to you, peace to you. God, we thank you for the truth and the reality, the opportunity we have to walk in your daily grace too. We want and we need to experience this daily grace. God, would you help us? Would you empower us to live for you by your spirits working in our lives? God, lead us and guide us and shape us. Father, help us to seek your grace, to lean into your grace, to find this daily grace as we study your word. God, would you, would you move us? Would you cause us to open our Bibles daily, to find this daily grace as we study your word? God, would you help us to set our minds on things above, not on, not on just these earthly distractions, these earthly cares, these earthly frustrations, but God, would you help us to receive your daily grace as we set our minds on you. And God, as we lift our voices in song, in, in worship, and in our prayers, may we know your ongoing grace. Father, as we live in community with one another, as we have church family, may we sense your grace. And God, as we serve one another, as we participate in family, as we activate being part of the body of the church family, 
as we serve one another, we thank you for your abounding grace. Thank you, God, that grace and peace are from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.